to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Harris. If we have not already met, welcome. I'm so delighted that you are here. Um, I own and run a Good Feeling Dog Training, which is based in Denver, Colorado, and I spend my days connecting with amazing dog owners and helping them to change their behavior and also their dog's behavior. I am so freaking stoked, you guys. This episode, near and dear to my heart. And, you know, just as a warning, it may tear you up a little bit. We get pretty emotional. Um, In this episode, we're going to talk all about how the dog sport of agility can improve your relationship with your dog. Um, If you guys didn't already know, um, I started agility with um, my dog, Sunny, and we started agility so that he could gain some confidence. He was a really scared dog in a lot of ways. And we started agility to give him, you know, an opportunity to learn how cool the world could be. And I started like many people started just, you know, for fun and for the dog. And, you know, I never wanted to compete. And lo and behold, I fell in love with the sport and competed. I competed a lot with Sunny. And you guys know that I've competed with Tiva and Waylon has done some competing and we're actually gearing up to do a lot more competing in agility. And while I love to compete in agility, there is so much more to agility than just competing. And I am so excited for you guys to meet um, my really fabulous friend and also agility coach. Um, Nicole Levesque is a um, agility coach and she um, owns and runs the Spirited Dog and she is the primary instructor at Team Spirit Agility, which is a physical location in Arvada, Colorado. And she is also a One Mind Dogs assistant coach. And she is amazing. And she has oh, just helped me so much with all of the dogs that I've done agility with. And I just adore her so much. And I am so looking forward forward to sharing this conversation with you guys. Um, Before I share the conversation, um, guys, if you like this podcast, um, be sure to click the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And also, if you like this podcast and you've been listening and you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, I would very greatly appreciate it. The more five-star reviews this podcast gets, the bigger reach this podcast can have. And, um, you know, if you guys have been listening to this podcast, you know my goal with starting this was to make dog training information more accessible and easy to digest so that not only your dog's life can be improved, but also your dog, your life (laughs) can be improved. Okay. So guys, if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends who have dogs. I think that it can be really uh, useful for a lot of people in a lot of different scenarios. Um, All of the episodes are available on SoundCloud as well as my website and all of the links to that are in the show notes. So guys, um, please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Nicole. 
I'm sure you are well aware of CBD for dogs. I give Tiva and Waylon daily CBD just to promote their overall health. And we use VetCS. VetCS is a veterinary based hemp therapy company and they make products for not only dogs, but they also make cat and horse products too. Their products are lab analyzed and they will give you unmatched customer service. We love Vet- VetCS and we are so excited to share this wonderful product with our listeners. If you are interested in learning more about VetCS, you can head over to their website, VetCS.com, and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Disorderly Dogs. I am here with my good friend and agility trainer extraordinaire. Um, So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. Um, So, For listeners who don't know, can you tell us what dog agility is? Sure. Um, Hi, Rachel. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. So this is going to be fun. So agility is a dog sport, um, and it's a sport where the dog is handled through a series of obstacles on a course that a judge has designed, and it's a timed event. So the dog that can run through those obstacles in order without fault the fastest is the one that wins um it's a it's the fastest growing dog sport right now and it's only been around since about the probably the early 1970s where it developed as a spectator event at some horse shows people just wanted to start doing these fun jumps with their dogs and it took off so now it's very popular across the globe Yeah, no, it's huge. And like, I have been doing agility a fraction of the amount of time that you have. How long have you been doing agility with your dogs for? Um, You know, I started doing it because I had like the naughtiest dog on the planet and I needed to find an outlet for him. So I started playing agility with him probably about 25 years ago. So it's, it's been a while. It's, it's changed a lot in 25 years. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways it's changed for the better, especially our training and handling. Don't you think? Uh, it, it has. And, you know, when I look back at how we used to even just how we used to make the obstacles, it's so much safer than it used to be. We understand so much more about the physio- physiology of the dogs, how they're built, how they move. So it's it's grown a lot in in that it's it's educated us a lot about these companion animals and um, we're far more aware of their safety and how they process information. So it's grown in a lot of different ways and changed in a lot of different ways for the better. For sure. Okay. So Nicole, can you tell us how you train, right? Like the principles you apply on just so people really understand like how it applies because agility is not just like you wing it and let the dogs do things. There's a lot of really Uh, formal training and breaking things down for the dogs that go into it. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, when I first started agility, we kind of did just wing it and throw the dog around obstacles. (laughs) And it was amazing that we did as well as we did back then. But um, there's no instinct for agility. If you have a herding dog, there's herding instinct. And a, a bird dog has birding instinct. And there is no agility instinct. So Everything that you do with them in agility is something that you have to break down and explain. And so I use a lot of what is natural to the dog, a lot of their natural instincts, like um, encouraging them to 
play, uh, social interaction, prey drive, that sort of thing. Um, and I use those processes to start to develop a language between the two of us so that I can convey what I'm trying to explain to the dog in a language that, that we can both speak at the same time. Uh, for me, that's been the biggest challenge, but also the biggest reward in learning how to do all of this. You know, I always try and take into account that they're thinking and feeling beings and every issue that comes up in the training is something that I have to kind of figure out how the dog processes information and, and how they think. So it's a lot of, for me, it's a lot of give and take. It's a lot of observing the dog. It's a lot about breaking skills down as small as I can so that the dog can really understand what I'm trying to get from them. Yeah. And guys, um, so Nicole, I've actually talked about you in previous episodes as someone who held me accountable, right. And really, um, reassured me when I needed it. Yeah. And guys, that's what I love so much about Nicole is that her interest is always making sure that we as the humans are being accountable and breaking things down so that the dog can actually understand. And it sounds easy, but it is not. It's very difficult, right? And like, although I'm a dog trainer and I understand dog behavior, like I wouldn't be where I am in agility if it wasn't for everything I've learned from you. Well, that's uh, that's so sweet to hear you say. And, you know, I've learned a lot watching you. So, and one of the best things about training a dog for agility is that you're, not only are you the, the teacher and sometimes the instructor, but you're also learning from each student and every dog that that comes out on the field. Um, you know, the session, my training sessions aren't so much about me showing the dog how to do something. It's about the dog and I learning how to process information together because every dog is different and every student, every handler is different. So you have to begin the process by observing to see how the how the information is being received. Are they getting it? Are they in the mood to learn? Are they, uh, you know, is there any physical reason they don't want to learn? You know, there are days I don't feel like getting up and going to work, but if I have a boss that will understand that I may not be at my best or a boss who knows how to get me to do my best, then I can get up and have a cup of coffee and go. And so I try to do that same thing with the dogs that I'm working at and students that I'm working at. It's, you know, like you said, accountability, taking responsibility for understanding that you're working with a creature that has a mind of its own and feelings and emotions and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I think too, something that I've definitely like observed in agility over, you know, the few years that I've been doing it is that I feel like originally I used to see a lot of like punishing and shaming and blaming the dog. And I really feel like as a community, people are starting to wake up and realize that like punishment has no place in dog agility. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're always going to um, see some people with that have more attachment to the outcome than they do um, involvement in the process. You know, I try my training sessions. I've learned that they need to be organic and a two way street. Right. So I, I'm not only the teacher, but the learner. And anytime you should feel that anytime you pick up a clicker or a cookie or a toy right? It's a process and it should never be forced. It should be done in a very um, supportive, organic and upbeat way. And that's a challenge 
many agility competitors find that challenging because if you're a goal-oriented trainer, as many of us are, it's sometimes hard to let go of what you felt your objectives were for any given training session. And that holds true whether you're you're working on a behavioral issue, whether you're working on an obedience issue or an agility issue. And you and I have talked about this because we have had some of those challenges with the dogs that we own. Um, but if you, if you can just take it as it comes and come from a place of always protecting the dog's confidence and desire to work for you without the use of forcible measures, then to me, that, that is a relationship worth developing. And that's why I do all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's a really good transition into like really putting a spotlight on the evolution that it is to be a teammate, right? And like how you get to learn and grow and reap the rewards of all of those labors, you know, like, and it's not easy. It's not easy just to break things down. It's not easy to feel like you failed, but I feel like ultimately that's going to yield not only the best like results in the ring, but also the best results as the relationship pertains to your dog and, and life outside of agility. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, we've talked about this quite a bit that I, my philosophy is that the dog is never to blame that I've either failed to explain it. I have failed to train it or I have failed to cue it. And that holds true with pretty much everything that we do with the dogs. And so, or the dog may have some physical reason they can't do it. So, when you see your relationship with your dogs from the perspective that um, it is your job to make them, to help them understand things, then that is a philosophy or a perspective that will benefit you in any discipline that you do with the dogs whatsoever, right? I, you know, and you've heard me probably use it in class. I always use the analogy that if you have a foreign exchange student to come live with you and they don't speak any of the language, you have to find a way to communicate that you both can understand. And so for me, all of this training is trying to develop a method or a system of communication that I can use not only in agility, but in everything else. Oh my God. I couldn't agree anymore. Seriously. Like, yes to everything you said. And it's, it's so profound. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Cause I know that some of my listeners don't compete in agility. They don't know what agility is about, but I think that what happens when you get to learn and grow as a team and what that does for your relationship to me, that's everything in agility, right? Like I'm a competitive person. Waylon and I are going to do more competing as he ages, but like where we are as like, a, you know, person and dog in our relationship, it wouldn't be where it was if we didn't do agility. Right. Right. And I, I, under, I can understand that. And I have had that experience with so many dogs that have graced my life that the journey has been so profound in so many different ways. I mean, it's agility, it's a dog sport, but it has taught me so much about dogs and dog training and dog behavior and people and people training and people behavior. And, you know, there are so many metaphors for life wrapped up into all of this, that even if you don't do agility and you could just replay this conversation and 
take out the word agility and put life or obedience or fly ball or whatever um, into any one of those places and kind of get a sense that it, it really is, should be all about learning about the dog and how the dogs process information and process the world with us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, and I think some other things that are worth noting is like how the communication that you learn um, between you and your dog in, in, in agility can apply to real life. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I think even just as basic as like being aware of your movements and what that does to your dog. Yeah. Yeah. It, there are so many real world applications for the training that we do. Um, I will tell you that my veterinarians love my dogs. My veterinarians love every student that I refer to them uh, because those dogs are used to being around people. They're used to being around dogs. They're used to being handled. They're used to dealing with what some would perceive as stressful situations. Now, let's face it. Anytime you take a dog off your property to go anywhere, it has the potential for stress. And so when you are teaching the dog and learning is stressful, right? When was the last time you took an exam and you were like, oh my God, oh my, right? You know, it's, it's a stressful experience. And so when you're working with these dogs and you're bringing them to classes, and you're bringing them to facilities, you're asking them to do things like run across a dog walk that's up off the ground or, or a teeter that moves. You're teaching them how to cope with small amounts of stress. Um, and if trained properly, it teaches them an inner confidence that they may not have doing other things. And, you know, I, I've told the story in some classes about the time I climbed a fire tower out on a hike and I didn't realize that both of my dogs climbed the fire tower with me. (laughs) And when I turned around and saw my 65 pound Husky cross and my 50 pound Aussie, and I thought, now I have to carry them both down. You know, they followed me up this open wrought iron structure without question. And I was kind of like, you guys were supposed to be swimming in the brook and not following me, but they were very much like, hey, you're going, we can follow you because we know you're not going to do us any harm or lead us into anything that that is too scary. So, you know, the confidence that you can develop when it's trained with a loving, trusting relationship is huge. Um, yeah, and- no, absolutely. And, you know, that's guys, that's how I met Nicole. Uh, they these people have heard me preach about Sonny, so I won't go into that because they already know. Yes. But, you know, Sonny was a shell of himself. Yes. Right? Like, he was. And agility, he wouldn't have been the same dog if it wasn't for the confidence that he learned in agility. He wouldn't yeah. have been. His life yeah. would have been much more stressful. He mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to go these places. And like you said, like, be around other dogs. Be around people. Like, I think that confidence in agility is, it's it's huge. And I don't think people realize that. No, and I don't think they do. Um, they also, I mean, it's one of life's most rewarding experiences is to see a dog that has that level of insecurity blossom and flourish and thrive. And like, you know, the first time that you did a smoking dog walk with him and he was like, I own this, you know, it it gets you a little choked up and, and just it affects you. And so it's really cool to see, you know, the key is there though, is to make sure that you're working with someone 
wherever you've gone, and if you're putting the dog up on things yourself, is to never push the dog past what they're comfortable of doing. And, and you know, you've seen that in the foundation classes that we've done together, where it's about those little pieces that you put together to overcome the fear and always give them the choice or the option to leave if they're not comfortable doing it. So if you're dealing with that kind of dog, had you tried to drag Sonny across a dog walk when he wasn't ready, it would have broken down your relationship and created a whole lot of mistrust. But the right. fact that yeah. you didn't ask more of him. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I feel like when we get into the mindset of we have to make dogs do things, we have to force dogs do to do things. I think we're so in the moment. We're so in the now. You have to do this right now. But for a dog like Sonny, if I were to force him to do something like that, he never would have recovered. No. Right? Like, I think if I would have forced him on a dog walk, he never would have done a full dog walk ever again after that. No, and even more importantly is that it it sows the seed of doubt for you. Yeah. I mean, you, if you think about any relationship where you've been forced into something that you didn't feel ready for, you're going to question it the next, next time someone says, hey, let's try this. You know, if you're bungee jumping and you're standing there on the bridge and your best friend comes up behind and pushes you off, you're going to watch behind you the next time, no matter how good that friend is. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. And where does that translate? Where else does that come up? You know, because it's not going to be just in that scenario. It's probably mm -hmm. going to be in a lot of scenarios where that friend is with you and you distrust them. Exactly. And, and it's exactly. not worth it. It's not no. worth it. No. So take your time and just take it as it comes, you know, and in kind of going back to, I don't know, for me, the deeper meaning behind this whole game that we play is, you know, anytime that you're doing something and you're suppressing the dog's natural behaviors or natural desires or natural personality, I think you're limiting, you're limiting who that dog can be. And so by allowing that dog to be who they are, whether it's, I need to take my time with this, or I'm going to jump in full, full force, you know, when you allow them to be who they're going to be, you develop that personality. And Boy, that's a gift that I wouldn't trade for any sort of perfect behavior that I got through any sort of forcible measures or suppressing any behaviors I don't want, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and it's that trustworthy bond is is something that when you're talking about how this translates to real life experiences, um, you know, there's a bond created between the two of you through that mutual skill building that will enhance that can enhance your relationship for time for for all time with that dog you know it's for me it's been one of the biggest gifts of having them with me it also is one of the reasons that it absolutely destroys me when they leave um but i wouldn't trade it i wouldn't trade it for anything because it's enriched my life as much as it's enriched theirs Oh my God. And seriously, like coming out the other side, like, I mean, again, listeners, I know you guys have heard me talk about Sunny, but I would be a not very good person if it wasn't for that scared little puppy who picked me at the shelter and took me on this journey. And, you know, like you're saying, right? Like, yes, we're talking about agility, but this applies to so much more, right? And that like, if you can go into this relationship with your dog and recognize that like, 
you guys are in this together and you can really grow with them and learn from them and, uh, and hold space and let them be who they are, what you get out of that relationship. I mean, you can't even describe it in words. Like I'm going to try not to cry right now, but it's (laughs) right. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's so, so profound, but it is profound. And, you know, when you think about real world applications for any of these training things we do with the dogs, you know, insert discipline here or insert game here, um, you know, it's, when you've created a mutual bond of respect, and I, I hate to use the word leadership because I'm not talking about pack leadership, but I'm talking about the one who's saying, hey, let's do this. But And when I, when I develop that relationship where I can be followed confidently, then that, that's when my dog is put into a situation where they're not comfortable. They look to me and they say, She's the one that's always got her act together and she's the one who's got all the answers. So I'm okay because she's okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is something that like when that moment happens, right? Like if you're in the ring at a busy trial and you can tell like something has got the dog a little worried and they look at you, y'all that's, I mean, that's magic right there. It is. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Cause they're looking at you and saying, okay, she's calm. She's cool. We can do this. And that's a really great feeling. That's when you know, that's when you know, they, they have that confidence and that you have protected them, you know, and the other big piece to all of this for me, and this isn't with every agility person, because, you know, the agility community has a reputation for barking, screaming dogs that are totally out of control. Um, but you know, for me, Developing impulse control around agility and around the house is a really good thing to start to teach. Um, And I use a lot of learning to earn rewards in that if if you're showing the impulse control, that self-control, you can have all you want and more. Although if you walked in my house right now, all four dogs would be like so happy to see you that they would be like hysterical. But, you know, when I can set it up to where I'm managing one or two dogs at a time and not four dogs at a time, um, you know, that impulse control has a lot of applications for real life stuff as well. Yeah. And and I think that that's a really good point, right? So I actually did an episode called surviving your teenage dog, right? Because I know that that's a big issue for a lot of people, right? Like one, like, you know, 10 months to like a year, two years, three years. Like, I know that's a really challenging time, right? For a lot of dog owners Mm -hmm. and agility can teach so many useful impulse control games and exercises that apply to Mm -hmm. other aspects of your life. Right. So, and I know that's why a lot of people get into agility, right? Like, okay, I have this young dog who is just terrorizing my life. What do we do? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, that, Husky cross. He was an Australian shepherd Husky cross named Zachary. He gave me whiplash. He broke my finger. I mean, he was 65 pounds of power and locomotion and I didn't know what to do. Well, you know, I went to trainers that had me alpha rolling him. And I tell you, we did the choke collar so much that he had all the hair around his neck was missing. 
And I started a class called Agility. Used to get up on Sunday mornings at 5.30 in the morning and drive two hours to Sandy Hook, Connecticut for this class. And I know it was crazy. Um, And then it just opened all these doors for me. And it started with just, you know, hey, let's get the dog over stuff, right? Because nobody knew what they were doing. The instructors were reading it out of a book while they were teaching it because, you know, nobody really knew what it was. Right. But, But it started me down that path. And, well, you know, back then I would say things like, you know, I'm just doing it for fun. I don't ever want to compete. And 25 years later, I've been, you know, to all four corners of the country and traveled to Finland and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But but it taught me a lot about how to get that out-of-control crazy dog channeled into something fun and actually maybe learn a thing or two about him and about myself in the process. So it was a pretty cool journey. I call him the SS Zachary because I used to be, you know, the big hair, the long fingernails, the nice wardrobe. And, you know, now I have a hammer in my hand and I'm fixing agility equipment all the time. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, no, that's so amazing. Okay. So I think something that I'm, I'm, you know, I know a little bit about, but I'd love to learn more about. And I think that my listeners would probably like to learn more about too. Can you give us some more insight in like what it really takes to like compete? Because I mean, guys, Nicole is a total badass. Okay. Like the way she runs her dogs, it's absolutely incredible. So can you tell us more about like what it's actually like, like what it takes to compete, like on the level that you're competing at? Uh, you know, and that's, (laughs) I know that's a really tough question because you know, I tend to, I take my time, like my youngest dog, my youngest dog, my second to the youngest dog is three and he's really just starting to compete. Um, and so, and I started training him as as a puppy. So the first thing I would say is you have to recognize the dog that you have, because I've had dogs that could compete at 18 months old and be fine and go and do all the things. Um, but I've also had dogs who mentally and emotionally weren't ready. They weren't mature enough. Um, they weren't confident enough. So if somebody is, and it happens quite a bit, like novice people come in or people haven't done it and they're very excited about it. And I want to compete at my breed specialty in six months. And I just kind of chuckle and say, okay, well, let's talk in five months and see if you feel ready. Right. Right. I mean, so that's a big part of it. So there's a lot that has to take place in order for you to get to that point. But if you have patience and perseverance, you know, the quote that Brene Brown uses that step into the arena, right? If you can go in there with an attitude of, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to see where my dog is at, then by all means, go ahead. But you need to have the ability to evaluate whether you're ready or not and whether the dog is ready or not. And so, you know, what we don't often consider are things like, is the dog environmentally sensitive? Is the dog used to being around a lot of other dogs and a lot of other people? Is the dog completely confident um, in the environment? Is the dog proficient on all of the obstacles? Do you feel proficient? all of the obstacles. So, you know, it's way different than it was 25 years ago. You went to a couple of classes and then you ran around in a big circle with your arms sticking out at your side 
and you said jump, 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 tunnel. And it's so much more than that now, and it's so much more complicated. And, and maybe that's the flip side of the fact that we've learned so much about how these dogs think and process that we're far better at it. Now our expectations are way greater for the novice person coming in. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't scare people away. But I never tell someone they can't do it. But what I tell them is go to your first event, go to have fun. Don't go to run clean or have a perfect run, but go to have a good time and then decide whether you should step back into the arena now or whether you need to take a step back and fix the issues that came up. You know, a big thing for me as an instructor and, and as a competitor because I'm way better at teaching than I am at competing because I'm way harder on myself than I am on my students. For me, it's been turning what some people would perceive as failure in the ring into lessons and learning. And I tell you, I went to the regional about a month and a half ago and struggled. I had had some health issues and um, I had had a dog that had lameness issues. So we hadn't done a lot of training and I knew going in, it was going to be challenging. And on the nine hour drive home from that event, on paper, it was one of my least successful events, but I learned more about skills that I needed, the competitor I wanted to be, and the things I wanted to do with my dogs. I learned more at that event than any other event I've done this year. And so if you can go in with the right mindset, then take the leash off, run and have a blast. But if you're one of those anal retentive perfectionists, who's going to get disappointed and frustrated, then find yourself a mentor or a coach who will push you just enough, but not too much. And, you know, ask for their help in evaluating whether you're ready to go or not. Because that can be, that can be a really big thing. Yeah. And I love what you said about mindset because, you know, I don't really consider myself a terribly competitive person. And I seriously, like I was very hard on myself with Waylon early on. And there were some, you know, trials that I left feeling like slightly defeated, but you're absolutely right. You need to go in and recognize that like, it's not a failure. Everything is just information and you can learn and grow and, and move on from there, you know? And it's, if you can get that mind game, right. I feel like then you're pretty much unstoppable. You can be. And, and as you know, I have a, a young border collie named Zanshin, who is that three-year-old who's not quite ready. And as I start to compete with him in training, in practice, that dog is running master's level courses and he is amazing. My only criteria right now for competition is that we go into the ring together and we leave together. Because, you know, if, if I renamed him today, I'd rename him like Ben and Jerry's because he's just like this peace, love and hippie type dog. There's a flower. Look at the butterfly. And in training now, he's intense and he's into the game. But I had to change my expectations for this amazingly physical and ready to compete in backyard competition. And, and so for me, I have to change my ideals about, for me, what's a perfect run with him. And so that's something, like I said, each dog is different. So you got to roll with it sometimes, right? <laughs> Listen to a lot of music on the way home. <laughs> right. Unwind and decompress. And I preach that all the time on this podcast too. Like the importance of 
like, yes, this podcast is about dogs, but like you have to take care of yourself too. Right. And like, if your needs aren't being met, if your cup isn't full, you can't show up and be the same handler in this case for the dog that you could otherwise. And that's super important, right? Like, you know, and there have definitely been trials where like, I was really stressed and overwhelmed and I didn't run the dog because that's not fair to them. Right. Like if I can't show up and be there for them, that's not the point. The point is to go and leave better than we went in, not worse. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, when you've spent all this training time making yourself the leader, when you go into another event or when you go into another environment and you're like a screaming lunatic, the dog is like, who is this person? I don't know who you are and you are freaking me out. So, you know, I've done a lot of work and I, I have my students do a lot of work with mental management work because that is a big part of it for someone who really wants to get involved in the sport. And, you know, if my other, the other big piece of advice is if you're thinking about getting involved in this um, competitively is to do some research, get online and pick a venue that you think you can manage without that much stress or self pressure. And, um, you know, go to a couple of these events and volunteer and watch so that you're not walking into this environment like, I've never been here. I don't know these people. Everybody's watching me because if you're feeling stressed and you're feeling nervous about stuff there, your dog is going to know it. So, you know, just relax and have a good time. Absolutely. And I think something, you know, for, for my listeners who don't compete in agility and they're not part of the agility community that I think is, I love so much about the agility community is that it really is a community and people are so warm and welcoming and you get to make these friendships, right? Like, I mean, I've known you through agility and I, and it's been so much fun to not only learn from you, but call you my friend, you know, and that's something that's really cool. And I think that people don't recognize that that gets to be like an added bonus from the human end is that you get, you know, kind of grandfathered into this wonderful community of people who really are there to like support you and watch you win. Yeah. And, you know, even it doesn't even have to be from a competitive standpoint, because if you never want to compete, that community is still there. But, you know, with the with the Internet and Facebook and Skype and all of these other tools we have, I mean, some of my best friends live in Finland. And and so, you know, there are so many classes you can take and and websites you can sign up for where you're getting constant feedback and support from people you've never met. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at events and someone walks up to me and says, oh my God, I'm so-and-so. We're Facebook friends. I'm from Canada. And it's really great to finally meet you in person. Oh my God, your dog is as beautiful in person as they are on in their pictures and just, you know, cool stuff like that, um, which is a lot of fun. And so, you know, I always think of that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You Will Go, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's a a physical thing. And it's also, it can be very much a metaphor for, you know, the potential that's out there when you open yourself up to something new. Like I never, I never imagined what this journey would do for me and where it would take me. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a, a quote that I think about all the time. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I want to kind of wrap it up, but can you, I mean, I know it's hard to sum it up. You've, you've had so many fabulous dogs that you've shared your life with and done agility with, but, um, what has been 
the result of your relationship with your dogs over the years as a byproduct of agility? Uh, this one is like one of the ones. Yeah, I know. I'm like wiping my eyes already, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. for me, it's been a, well, first of all, you know, I feel like I am such a mosaic of all the people that I've worked with, right? Like I have developed so much as a person based on all of the instructors that I've worked with. But the I can't even I can't even comprehend sometimes the impact that the dogs in my life have had on me. Um, you know, this evolution beyond measure on on how I perceive them and my relationships with them. And this, you know, they are my motivation. They are my healing, they are my family, they are my introspection, they are my soulmates. And it's hard. I know I I'm getting all choked up just even thinking about it. I mean, I spent the last 25 years of my life learning about dogs and fitness and life and travel and sports. And, and you know, I have all these friends who will last a lifetime and so many great memories that I cherish of so many great dogs who have, like, been at my side through all of this. And if you close yourself off to that, if you're not open to that constant learning from them, you're only getting a fraction of what they came here to offer us. You know, each one comes in with so many special gifts and, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this before, the challenging dogs have so many gifts and you may not want to hear them. You know, sometimes I'm like, you little, you little bastard, you know, you know, and I <laughs> yep. hit Oh my God, I understand what you're trying to tell me now. Like, stop being so focused on the end result and focus more on the process. Um, you know, I've learned as much in my adult life as I did as a child in school. And so for me, that's so valuable. Um, and just, you know, I talk to people who don't like dogs or don't have dogs. And I, it makes me sad because when I feel how my soul has just grown by each and every one that has put their, their paw print on it. It's, it's just, it's beyond comprehension. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. And whether you're doing agility or obedience or behavior, recognize the gift because ugh, it's not a long-term gift and you don't want to regret a single thing that you've done. And wow. so you've cultivated it and developed it you won't regret a single minute all right well i'm sure everyone is crying by now so you're welcome you guys i'm sorry if we made you cry today but um yeah no it's it's absolutely immeasurable and we're much better people because of them and we don't deserve them so there's that <laughs> well you know my goal is to strive to deserve them right yes. i want to be i want to be that person so if, you know, I know you said this podcast is global and I know that people, they don't have access to the regular training, but you know, find a trainer who cares as much about the dog as they do the sport, find the guidance that you need. The tools are out there. If you look and take the step, cause man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing yeah. like it. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so Nicole, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, you, you can find me. Well, I have a website, thespirited.dog.com. Okay. I'm also on, on Facebook. So I have a Facebook page, and the Spirited Dog has a Facebook page. And, and some of these, 
musings, tear-jerking musings, will be coming up soon. I'm working on developing my blog page as we speak. So um, some of these topics, actually, I'm like, oh, there's a blog in that. Oh, there's a blog in that. So (laughs) detail with that, too. Yeah. And guys, I'll include links to all of that in the show notes. And then guys, if you are local, if you are in Colorado, um, Nicole teaches in-person classes that I can't recommend enough. And then um, you help people virtually too, right, Nicole? Um, I try to. Yeah. When I can. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks so much for the invite. This was a lot of fun. Do you want to be able to trust your dog off leash? Do you want to improve your relationship with your dog? A dog with a trustworthy recall gets way more opportunities to adventure and be a dog. Let's be honest, having a dog that doesn't come when called really kind of sucks. So, do you want to make your life easier? Do you want to learn how to train a trustworthy recall? Do you have 10 minutes a day to devote to training for just 30 days? Check out my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you step-by-step instructions for teaching a trustworthy recall with just 10 minutes a day for 30 days. You can learn more about trustworthy recalls at agfdogtraining.com. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co you can also find us on facebook at a good feeling dog training as well as our website agfdogtraining.com. dog